to the lightning round. Welcome to uh, the Dave Kirshner Lightning Round. It's episode 30. It's my midweek show. Today is Wednesday. And uh, it's week 42 of this idiot's installed presidency, also known as the 46th Quadrennial Hunger Games. Got a couple topics here. Gonna try and <laughs> I'm going to try and stay in my own little lane, in my own little box. <laughs> so, <laughs> I wish you luck. <laughs> uh, it's it's really hard not to. It, it's really hard to to to, to stay focused on uh, keeping the show separate because there's so much jackassery coming out of that uh, installed in administration. Just ugh. anywho. Um, I thought I'd start off with a preparedness topic that's near and dear to a lot of our hearts, which is uh, <laughs> the exercising of the Second Amendment via a concealed carry license. So I, uh, my, my concealed carry license expired. I had to go, or it was getting ready to expire, actually. Um, and I, have to, uh, I had to go in and submit the, uh, the application to renew it. Um, in Ohio, um, it's 50 bucks to renew it. I think it's a new, to get a new one if you've never had one before. Uh, it's like 70 or 80 bucks and then you got to pay a fee on top of that. But, um, I, I thought it was interesting and the reason I wanted to bring this up, not to advertise the fact that I have a concealed carry license, but I think that everybody should have one. Um, I get a nice little chuckle when I go walking up through a park where I used to work downtown, uh, in downtown Columbus. And, uh, the company had a designated parking garage that we had to park in, but you know, uh, it was a couple blocks from the office, but, uh, between me and the office was a, was a large area of, uh, of green space called Bicentennial Park. And, as you come up to the park, if you want a nice leisurely stroll on a good day, you want to walk through the park, the first thing you're greeted with is, this is a gun-free zone. Okay. Yeah. I'm sure. Okay. You do what you want with that information. But, uh, you know, gun-free zones just generally, they, they make me chuckle. Because it's, it's like... Uh, I don't know, it, 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 it's like, I, I saw a meme, and the meme was, uh, this, you know, those old, uh, like, fen the, 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 like, you, you have a guard shack, and it has this um, gate that raises and lowers, and, you know, the say it's a, going on to a military base, and they, it's got a weight on one end, they just kind of lift it up, and you drive through, and, uh, you know, the, the sign on the gate said, gun control. Or uh, uh, something like that. Yeah. Law-abiding citizens and gun control. With something, the sign on the gate or something. And then, um, but there were all these tracks 
that went off the road and around the gate, and it said uh, illegal or criminal gun owners, and they just kind of drive around the gate. I always get a good chuckle out of that. But anyway, I went down. Um, I live in Franklin County, which is where Columbus is located. It's a big county, a lot of almost over a million people in this county. So it's it's pretty getting pretty packed, and, and I'm looking for exits every day, let me tell you. Um, but so I go, and Franklin County is notorious for not processing concealed carry licenses um, in a timely manner. To the point where I actually made a mental note to bring this up. Um, I went to a neighboring county, and the neighboring county sheriff's department had two signs up. One that said, due to the influx of concealed carry applications, I wonder why, the concealed carry office will only be open from 10 to 2, Monday to Friday, so we may process the applications. So because one county sucks and they don't, and it's a very, and it's, it's run by a Democrat. Columbus mayor is a Democrat and he's on a, he, he's on a terror to try and, you know, be as woke as possible because I think he has political aspirations beyond the Columbus mayor's office. Andrew Ginther is his name. And so he's trying to be as woke as possible. And the sheriff is is lockstep with them, so they're taking their sweet time to uh, to process some 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 of these licenses and these applications. Uh, so much so that I made a comment to the sheriff in Madison County that said, uh, you know, I got some friends that have tried to get their concealed carry through Franklin County. And uh, he said, you know, because I was asking him about how long the, the turnaround was, and he said 30 to 45 days. And I said, oh, that's a heck of a lot faster than what Franklin County's doing. I said to him, I think I got uh, an ATF taxed device faster than Franklin County is processing uh, concealed carry applications. And he kind of looked up out of the paperwork and he goes, yeah, we've heard stories. <laughs> that was all he said. Uh, but he did ask. He said, well, how long did it take you to get that uh, that ATF taxed uh, device? And I said, well, when I bought it, they told me it was going to be 10 to 15 months. Because that's how backlogged they were. And I said, I got it in three and a half months. And he he his eyes got really big. He said, I've never heard of anyone getting it that fast. And I said, well, I guess I got to. <laughs> I got in the fast pass lane or something. <laughs> anyway, that was pretty funny. But then the other sign, because Franklin County sucks at processing, and some of the bigger counties too, Cuyahoga County, which is Cleveland, and Hamilton County, which is uh, Cincinnati, uh, because they're being inundated and they're dragging their feet because that's where all the Democrats live is in the 3C corridor, Cincinnati, Columbus, Cleveland. Um, the second sign up said that uh, we will only be accepting concealed carry applications from the following counties, Madison, Franklin, Pickaway, Green, Clark, Union, Champaign, and Fayette. Champaign is nowhere near Madison County. 
But if you look at these, it's pretty much... Um, I, I don't know where they came up with these particular um, counties or what the justification was for these counties. But if I look at a map, I bet you this is uh, <laughs> Congressional District 15. It's funny. It's funny to me. But I thought I'd relay that information that, um, you know, people, you take the you take the, the BLM riots and don't try and tell anybody that that was peaceful protesting. No, no. I think, honestly, it started out as a peaceful protest. Possibly. Maybe. Maybe. Um, but those little anarchists in... Uh, Antifa, which are the, actually <laughs> the complete opposite of anti-fascism, because anything they don't like, they want silence, which is the actual definition of fascism. But hey, who am I to be a wordsmith? <laughs> Just, uh, I've been told I'm a walking dictionary, and I'm a walking thesaurus. I go on to projects, and I write requirements, and I tell them how the system's supposed to work, and how the system is supposed to handle certain situations, and process this, and air handling and you know how to collect data and I do all these things right so it's it's, it's very very technical um, and when you when you work in state government you're told two things one we're writing to the lowest common denominator so we have to write to basically an eighth grade level sometimes a, a third grade level um, which is surprising because I don't know how they they got that job if their reading comprehension levels are still in grammar school, but hey, who am I to judge? Uh, and the second thing that I'm told is to not use any of my big SAT words because they don't know what they mean. <laughs> That's very disconcerting. See, there's an example. I use the term disconcerting. <laughs> uh, my wife made a comment to me because I said something the other day. And I promise I'm getting back to preparedness, but uh, the comment she made to me was, you know, when we met, I'm pretty sure you didn't know this many words. <laughs> I just kind of looked at her and I said, well, I read books. <laughs> ah, nothing like a good little... <laughs> pick me up slap in the face from your wife <laughs> all right here we go i got a couple things i want to talk to you about uh we're gonna finally get to the fabled articles about uh, uh quails and chickens um and then i also wanted to cover um some nutritional information uh not just from wild game but um uh because you know you should always be selling um, we're going to take a look at some of the nutritional, nutritional information I put into, uh, preparing to prepare. And, um, I also, I, I found an article, uh, it's basically, it's, uh, I think it was titled, uh, seven domestic animals that are easy to raise. So, um, you know, if you've been following along in the show, uh, we've, we've covered a number of, of animals, livestock that are, uh, small, they're easy to, um, take care of relatively and, uh, and they're, they're nutritious. They 
They don't require a lot of maintenance. They don't require a lot of food. They don't require a lot of acreage. And what I'm talking about are rabbits, ducks, chickens. Um, I haven't talked about fish. Um, uh, I have been fascinated for some time with aquaponics, uh, but I just don't have the space for it. And um, and you know you gotta you gotta have room for those tanks, and and you gotta be able to keep them warm, especially in Ohio. Um, today, notwithstanding, they said it's actually supposed to get to 65, but we had about an inch and a half of snow on Sunday. So, <laughs> climate change! <laughs> Whatever, dude. Um, and I, so I, I'm probably going to cover aquaponics. You know what? I'm going to make a note of that. Um, aquaponics, I'm going to talk about that next week. Um, and I'm writing it down so I don't forget. And um, I've been I've been reviewing a lot of my environmental science um, coursework um, because you know I, I because of what this installed administration has been doing um, you know making bold and inaccurate proclamations that uh, climate change is the greatest crisis facing humanity in our country. Um, and I wanted to look at different uh, energy sources. Uh, I wanted to talk about uh, uh, kind of what the left is saying and the hypocrisy of the left. So we'll cover, um, uh, and to give you a, a little inside track, so there's a person that's in that particular uh, niche on the left, uh, he's unabashedly on the left, uh, loves to tell the story about how he was raised by hippies and was uh, taken to these little anti-war protests and stuff as a child, um, but uh, he, he's he got a number of, of TED Talks out on YouTube, and uh, basically he comes out and says, look, uh, renewable energies is not going to solve uh, our climate crisis, and uh, you'll be surprised to hear what he actually says we should be doing. And I agree with them. You know, you, you're not going to get what you need out of renewables. Um, but if you if you stop turning off some of these power plants and start building some more of them that are safer, uh, you know, then then you know maybe we maybe we could uh, turn the corner. But you know, I, I just I, I, I laugh every time they're like, "Oh, we're going to electric vehicles. We're going to EV, baby." Have you ever seen a lithium mine? Do you know how big and vast and deep and wide the lithium mines are? They're like two miles across. And they're almost half a mile or more deep. Okay, when you have a hole that big, where did you put all the crap that was in it? Because it wasn't all lithium. It was dirt, it was rock, and I guarantee you, they did not put that material someplace where it didn't harm some other ecosystem. So for all of their pandering and wanting to go electric and solar and wanting to go with uh, windmills and, you know, I'm looking at them and I'm like, you have no idea what environmental damage you did by, by trying to go and find lithium to make these ion batteries. You know, it just, it boggles the mind. Anyway, so we're going to talk about that. I'll make a note of that. Um, you hear my pen? That's me taking notes. I'm going to write that down. Um, 
So, you know, I'm, I'm a member of Ducks Unlimited. I like to go out with them and do uh, conservation and uh, wetlands reclamation. Why? Because I like to shoot ducks. I like to shoot geese. I think they taste yummy. And um, if we don't have a fully functioning, healthy ecosystem, we're all going to die. Because the animals are not going to be present and prolific. And it's going to be a problem. Because you start taking animals out of the food chain and bad things happen. And who doesn't like clean water, right? But I don't think it should be mandated by the federal government. It, you know, uh, oh, anyway, we'll get on to that stuff next week. It's, it's in the preparedness vein. I promise I'll try and keep it on my box. But anyway, let's talk about quail. Uh, I love quail. I love quail hunting. Uh, and I think, I think I'm drawn to bird hunting more than, say, deer hunting. Um, you know, elk or, you know, mule deer or, you know, moose or caribou or whatever. Um, because I, I think it's harder. Um, it's more rewarding and worthwhile to pit your skills against the skills of the bird while they're in their fight or flight response. Um, have you ever tried to hit something moving 40 miles an hour through a cypress forest? That's a bitch. I tell you, I hit more, <laughs> I hit more damn tree limbs than birds when I'm out there hunting in a swamp. But, uh, when it comes to quail, um, and I told you this earlier, I went down to North Carolina, a buddy of mine's got a farm down there. Uh, it's, you know, it's a private club type of deal and, uh, they raise quail there. And, and one of the first things they tell you in, in this article that I got on self-sufficient projects by Abigail DeMoa is that quail are loud, <laughs> like, like so loud to the point where if they're in a tizzy and they're worked up and they're doing whatever they're doing and you're trying to have a conversation outside the cage, uh, it's, it's tough to hear. Um, but, uh, when it comes to quail, they're small, uh, you know, they, can be aggressive, uh, they're loud, but uh, they're very tasty. Um, they lay about uh, 450 eggs a year if, uh, if you're treating them right and you're feeding them right. Uh, they're a good source of income uh, because two things. One, uh, quail eggs are more expensive because they're basically considered a delicacy. And... Um, there are people that have uh, egg allergies, and quail eggs are allergen-free. So if you are, say, in a, like, I can't raise quail, obviously, in my little suburban home where they measure my land in square feet instead of acres. And because they make so much noise, I, I can't have them. I can't have chickens. The only thing I can have on my property that I could stealthily raise would be rabbits. And so, but there's not a big uh, clamoring for rabbit meat in my little suburb. <laughs> so, um, uh, okay, back to the back of the article. So, quails are pretty cheap to raise because they don't eat much food. And by that, I mean um, they only eat a okay a and b a they only eat a what they like and b um, what they need. So they're not 
one of these uh, bird breeds that just is constantly eating. If, if they're not hungry, they don't eat. If they're hungry, they go eat. So you need to make sure that you give them the things that they're looking for um, when it comes to uh, their diet and, and nutrition. Uh, like, uh, I'll give you an example. Oh, where did I put it? Come on. Uh, they, oh, there it is. Um, oh, one of the things that they want you to know is that um, when, you're, when you're buying their feed, like layers pellets, um, you need to make sure that the salt content is no more than seven-tenths of a percent. Uh, because if you get too much salt, the, the quail won't eat it. Um, but they do seem to like um, lettuce, sweet corn, rice, cake, pasta, mixed corn, and layers pellets. But one of the things about quail is they will tell you what they like and what they don't like. Because if they don't like it, they won't eat it. So if you throw a bunch of, of food in their pen, different things, um, if, if it's still there in the morning, they didn't like it. Um, but what you should not feed quail is any kind of meat, uh, salty foods like chips. Why would you throw chips in there? Avocado, uncooked potatoes. I'm a potato. <laughs> I love those little, those little TikToks or those reels. I'm a potato. <laughs> so don't give quail uncooked potatoes. Citrus fruits. Leaves and stems of tomato plants, rhubarb, parsley, grape seeds, chocolate, caffeine, anything from the garden, and chicken feed. It doesn't contain as much protein, but it won't make them sick. So chicken feed apparently is not as nutritious as layers pellets. So, um, but one of the things you definitely need to have with quail and with chickens is uh, they need to make sure that you give them grit because that will help them with their digestion. Um, the, the one thing that I, that I do know about quail from just talking to my buddy and, and talking to the, the gamekeeper at the farm, uh, at the, you know, the, the duck hunting club or whatever, um, is that, um, wild swings in temperature will kill them. Um, I guess they had a, uh, pretty drastic cold snap one night and, because the quail were in an open pen that didn't have enough uh, room for all of them to be kind of in a shelter with uh, heat lamps and stuff. Uh, so really it's the, it was the gamekeeper that, that screwed this up. But they, they had a lot of, a lot of death um, just from a cold snap. So you need to make sure that you, you know when you know that cold weather's coming, um, you know, particularly in the fall, uh, you can get these wild swings, uh, you can get these, what used to be called Alberta clippers, um, now they call them something else that's sensational sounding, but they used to be called Alberta clippers, um, so, um, you need to do that, you, you need to keep them warm, so you need to make sure that you're set up and ready to go for winter. Um, oh, the uh, quail waste contains a lot of ammonia, so you need to change their straw in their cages every day. Um, and then you need to wash out the cage at least once a week to prevent buildup. Um, and make sure the brooding box has got air vents to provide enough circulation. 
Um, so, oh, and then they also recommend that every so often you add apple cider vinegar to the water, to their water supply. Oh, you need to, oh yeah. So, all right, let's back up. Things that they need, obviously, are the right foods, um, but they also require plenty of water. Uh, so you need to make sure that their watering device uh, doesn't or can't run the risk of freezing up um, and that it is constantly available to them. They will drink a lot of water. Um, but every so often, this particular author recommends that you add some apple cider vinegar. Apple cider vinegar to the water because it'll kill parasites and improve the health of the feathers. Okay. Uh, the other article was uh, about chickens, and uh, again, the author's name is Abigail Demoa. <coughs> Excuse me, and um, it, this is not in the article, but um, I have a friend who has a little homestead uh, just outside of the city, actually in a different county. She's, well, not just outside. I mean, just outside if you're driving, but, you know, if there's a societal collapse and I need to get to her, <laughs> It's going to take me about a day and a half of walking because it's not close. But I can get there inside of an hour if I drive. But um, she raises uh, chickens and turkeys and goats. And uh, we were there one time and uh, she was she sells the chickens and the, and the, and the goats. Or, and I'm sorry, the chickens and the turkeys. Uh, so she's got a nice little brood going up there. But... Um, I was talking to her, and I was like, oh my God, do you actually sit out here and like pluck all these things all the time? And she's like, oh, hell no, I've got an electric chicken plucker. <laughs> an electric chicken plucker. So, um, I, I did a little research on that, and I mean, obviously you can find DIY type deals on YouTube, and you can, and you can do a little, um, you can do a, a, a search online just for the term electric chicken plucker. And what it looks like is, uh, is uh, the inside tub from a washing machine. Um, and they've installed these little foam fingers. They're not foam, but uh, little rubber fingers on the inside. And when it spins that chicken, or that turkey, or that duck, or that quail, it just rips those little rubber fingers. They just grab a hold of them as it's spinning around. It just pulls those feathers right out. Um, they're about, depending on how the size and the speed... Um, you de oh, you also want to make sure you have a, 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 like a hose bib attachment for it. So as it's spinning, it's putting water in there. So it's cleaning it out. Um, but they're about three to $450. So they're not cheap. It's an investment, but if you're going to raise birds, these are, these are things that you're going to need to be looking at. It's more than just, you know, buying your livestock or buying the eggs to raise your own livestock it's it's more than just making sure that they have the right food and the grit and the water and the space you need to make sure that you're able to process these these birds um but with chickens uh the primary benefit aside from the meat and the eggs is the fertilizer their chicken manure is one of the best fertilizers i've ever used i have uh not been able to procure it in recent years and my garden shows it chicken manure i think is a is a much better fertilizer than um than cow manure um i mean they're mixing manure in with like uh topsoil bags and stuff like that or you can buy a whole bag of just plain old manure um but i haven't been able to get a hold of any chicken 
uh, manure uh, in recent. So I'm 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 actually going to try and double my efforts this year because my my garden shows it. My plants aren't as big; they aren't as plentiful. Um, benefit of chicken is pest control. Um, so if you've got a, if you live in an area that has uh, ticks and mosquitoes, uh, the chickens will help you out. Um, and uh, what else is there? It says, although you can't feed chickens everything, they will eat whatever kitchen remains are good for them. So instead of throwing leftovers in the trash, give them to your chickens. Who knew? Um, and also, if like with my garden, uh, to if I had chickens, I would actually have to coerce them into my garden because the garden's fenced in. I'd have to open the gate for them. But um, if you get them into your garden, but if you don't have it fenced, then you don't have a problem. Um, because they, if you're doing free-range chickens, they will go in the, that garden. That garden will look spanking new, man. No weeds, no bugs, no bad bugs anyway. Um, because because of their constant pecking, there won't be any weeds. Um, but there are different types of, of chickens. Um, and this particular author gave us a list. One, two, three, four, five. Five different chickens based on uh, different um, characteristics. So the first one that she gave us was Wyandots. Um, they're about six pounds. They're good flavoring. If you're gonna, when you eat them, they're good flavor. And they, uh, they'll lay up to about 240 brown eggs a year. Um, I'm sorry, there were six. One, two, three, four, eh, maybe six, five, six. Um, the second breed uh, were Orpingtons. They lay about 200 eggs, and they're heavy birds. They're over 10 pounds. They're coming in usually an average of about 10 and a half pounds. Um, the biggest one, or one of the largest chicken breeds, is Brahma Roosters. Um, they come in at 10 to 12 pounds. They lay about 200 eggs a year, and this is important. The next part's important for me. They live and they they thrive in cold climates because of heavy heavy feathering and size. Um, so that's good. All right, that'd be a key indicator that I'm looking for when I get my land and I get my homestead and I get my chickens. Brahma roosters do well in cold uh, cold climates. Uh, Ixworth chickens. Uh, these are typically referred to as your table birds. They come in at about seven pounds and they, they too lay about 240 eggs a year. Um, and then the last two um, are cochins. It's a heavy bird as well. So three of the birds that she's given us are over 10 pounds. This is the third one. Um, they are extremely feathery, meaning they will survive during harsh winters. So that's that's two birds, Brahma roosters and cochins, that are good for cold weather climates. And the last one is the Transylvanian naked neck. Uh, they're given that name because they don't have any feathers around their necks. They're immune from most diseases and weigh about eight and a half pounds while laying about 200 eggs a year. Um, so that's good. Okay, so you're looking for meat production. You're looking for egg production. Um, you're looking at, uh, what was the third thing? Oh my God, I'm losing my mind. Oh yeah, fertilizer. Um, but for me, and, and for a lot of people, uh, where you actually have a winter, 
you actually have all four seasons, um, something that you need to consider in the characteristics of your bird, whether it's quail or chickens, is their cold hardiness. Um, and I, I shared an example that uh, quail aren't exactly the most cold hardy, um, but you can take certain steps and precautions, and uh, you can actually get specific breeds of chicken that are cold hardy. So that's that's good. Okay, so we're running at about half an hour, um, and so it's interesting that I did it again. Um, we'll do. You know what? We'll save the uh, nutrition information uh, for next week um, when we talk about aquaponics because that'll help tie all three things together. Um, because I want to provide a reference back to the book because I put nutritional information in the book. Um, uh, uh, I, you know what? I, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I can do it. I can do it. Um, uh, but basically, this is a, uh, an article about uh, wild game nutrition. And for deer, uh, elk, squirrel, duck, and bass, uh, they also go in and um, they give you, so, so for each of those five, deer, elk, squirrel, duck, bass, they're going to give me calories, protein, fat, and cholesterol. And then uh, they also give me a nice handy table that when printed, it comes out to about a page and a half. Um, to cover animals like lamb, beef, antelope, white-tailed deer, elk. They say buffalo, but they actually mean bison. Um, black bear, domestic pork, wild boar, which is wild pork. <laughs> Rabbit, uh, particularly they, they called out the cottontail, possum, raccoon, chicken, Duck domestic, duck mallard, grouse, sharp tail, turkey domestic, turkey wild, squirrel, pheasant domestic, pheasant wild. Um, so I eat a lot of these, and I've hunted a fair number of them. Um, but one of the things that is different between, and, and you see this all the time when you have like uh, farm-raised salmon versus wild salmon, you can tell the difference just in the coloring. When it's on the when it's in the display case, um, you know obviously if you're I, I live in Ohio we don't have salmon in Ohio so I gotta buy it. Um, but uh, when you get wild game, uh, there are a lot of health benefits such as high B12 and B6 vitamins, niacin, riboflavin, zinc, iron, lower fat content. Um, so the the like, if you're going to raise ducks, obviously, you know, they're not going to be migratory. You're going to snip their flight wings. Um, but that means they're going to be fatter because they're not flying. They don't have to fly everywhere. They just kind of walk wherever they want to go. And, oh, look, a pond. Waddle, 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 waddle. Oh, look, my pen. Waddle, waddle, waddle. Oh, look, food. Waddle, 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 waddle. Okay. A wild bird, a wild duck is just flying everywhere. They're they're scrounging, they're scavengers, they're looking for food, they're looking for water. They're in flight, so they have less fat. Um, and that is the same can be said about uh, why they called out domestic pork versus wild pork or boar. Um, 
So you get more protein from a wild pig than you do from a, uh, a pig in a pen. Um, the, the duck, they, they're saying you can get 23, 23% of your, of your protein from, uh, a mallard versus a domestic duck. I don't know why they could, cause you can have domestic, you can have farm raised mallards. I don't know. Anyway, it was an interesting article. Um, it was, uh, it was again on ask a, ask a so, um, the, the key things here are your, obviously your protein, uh, your fat content, uh, your calories and your cholesterol, right? So these are the four indicators that they've given us for each one. But, um, the two things that I want to focus on are protein and calories, because if you're in a survival situation, you're likely walking and, or doing a lot of uh, manual labor. So caloric intake is a big uh, indicator that you need to be pay paying attention to. Additionally, you need to be paying attention to protein because that's going to help with uh, the building of muscles. Um, so I'm not going to read all of this to you, um, but I'm going to tell you where you got it. But uh, there was a key thing here that I, I found that was interesting. Um, that researchers at Purdue University found that wild game, specifically grass-fed Rocky Mountain antelope, deer, and elk, contain an elevated amount of omega-3 fatty acids and a lesser ratio of omega-6. They comprise two parts of omega-6 to one part of omega-3 in their muscle meats. Grain-fed beef contains a, a 5 to 1 up to 13 to 1 ratio. Um, but what you're trying to do is you're trying to get a balanced meal that will, uh, between your gardening exploits, um, your, your ability to forage, and your ability to uh, catch wild game, whether that's with a, a crossbow or a rifle or a shotgun, um, pistol, you know, whatever you're doing to, to get that, you know, you could use a slingshot on birds around your garden uh, when it's berry season. So, I mean, there's all different types of things. But because you got it while it was wild, which is the whole point of this article, you're sparing your, your body um, the influx of non-natural ingredients such as steroids, growth hormones, vaccines, animal byproducts, and antibiotics. These are things you're not going to find in a wild bird or a wild animal, um, but if you're buying store-bought, I should say, if you got store-bought anything, you, you, you run the risk of having a lot of that stuff in there. Um, but, uh, you know what, alright, we made it through that. So go to, go to askaprepper.com and you'll find a lot of these articles. Um, I'm picking and choosing them because I'm, I'm trying to uh, weave a narrative, so to speak, on, you know, so the last, ep last couple episodes... And then uh, the when I when I managed to get to a preparedness topic during the Jackassery Minute episodes before I split the show, you know I, I'm I'm I want to cover. So I did batteries uh, last week or the week before. Um, now I'm back to livestock, and and I've also covered livestock previously. So I'm trying to get you to understand that if you're going to have land, 
and you want a homestead or you want to have a, an enclave, a, a community, that, not Jonesboro or anything like that, not that kind of community, but a, a mutual assistance community or group, um, these are things that you need to think about, whether that's, you know, okay, when you go to buy land, you know, how much land is too much land? How much land is not enough land? Uh, well, uh, there are several factors that go into that. One, can you maintain that land? Can you work that land? Can you afford the machinery for that land? How much land are you needing for sheep and goats and ducks and pigs and rabbits and cows if you're going to go with all of that? How much land do you need for uh, if you want to have horses um, as a means of transportation? So you need to be thinking about these things. So I'm giving you these quick hits. These, uh, when it comes to, to livestock, that's why I'm picking and choosing specific articles because I'm, I'm trying to stay in a certain vein and get you uh, everything that I can get you about that particular topic. So I've already covered battery backups. Now I'm, I'm finishing up the thread about livestock. So uh, the last article is from selfsufficientprojects.com. Um, the author's name is just simply Stephanie. And she's given us a list of seven domestic animals that are easy to raise. Well, I think everybody, everything's relative. So there might be something on here and you might think, oh, hell no. I'm never doing that. Those things are mean. <laughs> well, you know, this is her list, not mine. Uh, number one, chickens. Well, <laughs> we already covered chickens. So, but that was that was her one of her seven easy uh, domestic animals easy to raise. Uh, the second one is pigs. Uh, she writes, keeping pigs may sound scary, but they're pretty easy animals to raise. In order to successfully raise your pigs, they need very good fencing, control their access to areas. Controlling their access to areas is very important because they're curious scavengers and can do a lot of damage. And the term "smells like a pig" exists for a reason. Oh. I've been to several pig farms, and oh my. So if you're not prepared to live in that, don't get pigs. The third thing she talked about was pigeons. Huh. I would not have picked pigeons. But um, to her, they're a good source of meat. They're easy to raise. They're inexpensive when it comes to feed. Um... And their bedding slash nests are made up of organic materials such as pine needles, straw, and hay. Although they will reproduce, they will reproduce more in winter if you can keep their enclosure with a minimum temperature of 40 degrees. You can keep pigeons without the use of artificial heat. Good to know. All right, pigeons. You know, it's kind of in that same vein as quail and dove. Uh, small birds, pretty much only good for, you know, breast meat, but. You know, some people like to cook the whole bird, so who am I to tell you not to do that? Um, the fourth one was rabbits. We've covered rabbits um, previously in other episodes. Um, but what she writes is raising rabbits is economical and straightforward. Uh, you can produce up to 180 pounds of rabbit meat per year with just two does and one buck. One doe can produce four to five litters per year. Most homesteaders start with the New Zealand breed. This is because this breed of rabbit can grow to be about 12 pounds by the time they are 10 to 12 weeks old. Holy crap! I did not know that. Um, 
rabbits will put their offspring in a hutch, in a rabbit hutch, not your china cabinet, uh, to protect from predators. Funny story, we came back from vacation. Our dog had gone over to the in-laws while we were gone on vacation during the summer. Came back, and I'll tell you, this is how stupid rabbits are. I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. We come back, and I see a spot smack dab in the middle of the yard under zero cover, and it was painfully obvious that there was a rabbit hutch there. Then, sure enough, I went over there. I Actually, what I did is I put on some gloves because I didn't want the mother to reject the babies by smelling human. So I put on a pair of gloves, and I kind of pulled back the dead grass that she had used. And sure enough, there were five or six of them down in there. And uh, my dog actually has gotten to the point now. She's a, she's a, a morky, which basically to me is a punk kick dog. But, and serves no real purpose, but it's because she got, the, I don't know, she's got, it's got some terrier in there, so she likes to go after these things, but she's gotten to the point now where she just doesn't care. <laughs> she's like, ah, screw those things. But I put a fence up around it to keep her from doing anything nefarious when I wasn't looking. See, there's another SAT word for you, nefarious. Ah, rabbits, okay, so that was one, two, three, four... Uh, five, six, and seven. Turkeys, goats, and fish. So we talked turkeys a little bit. Um, according to uh, Stephanie, the author, turkeys are uh, easy to keep. They provide large quantities of lean, nutrient-dense meat. Um, turkeys produce a dressed weight of close to 75%, 75% of their body weight. Uh, that means that there's less waste and more meat when preparing your bird. Um, turkeys are generally ready to consume and get put on the table at about 20 weeks old. Uh, one of the best rules to follow is that if your turkey reaches a point where they're consuming a few pounds of feed per day and is not growing any larger, they are ready to harvest. That's a good rule of thumb. Uh, goats. She says that uh, goats are not only easy to keep up and care for, but they provide countless hours of entertainment. They're curious and awfully funny. Okay, and of course, the added benefit of uh, nutrient-based milk. Two goats can produce enough milk to feed your family year to feed a family year-round. Add a couple of more, and you can benefit from uh, the ability to make yogurt, cheese, ice cream, caramels, and soap. So, there you go. Uh, they don't need much in terms of shelter, um, but what shelter you do give them, it needs to be clean, draft-free, and well-ventilated. How do you have something well-ventilated that's draft-free? Hmm. Maybe she's talking about something else. I don't know. I'll figure that out when I get to building up goat shit. Um, and then the last thing she said was fish. Um, and this goes into the topic I want to cover next week, which is aquaponics. Uh, farming fish is worth the consideration for those who have a pond or swimming pool. The hardest part of keep up, about keeping fish is recreating their ecosystem. Once creating their ecosystem is accomplished, the fish are easy to, the fish are easiest pie to keep up with. They provide an excellent supply of protein as well as some reaction recreation time. I don't know why I read that wrong. Um, 
It's important to keep fish that are compatible with your area, but carp and trout are generally safe choices. So there you go. Alright, so that is the preparedness episode for this week. Um, so, in summary, we covered the interesting things about my concealed carry renewal. We finally got to the quail and chickens article, and uh, I took an extra 15, 10, 15 minutes, and we got in the uh, wild game nutrition um, and seven domestic animals that are easy to raise. So, uh, next week we're going to talk about fish. Uh, we're going to talk about aquaponics in particular. Um, and then more, it, 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 it's not exactly preparedness. But um, we're going to talk about different forms of energy, whether that's wind or solar, maybe wave technology or nuclear. Um, you know, obviously you've got coal um, and you've got various incinerators and things of that nature. But uh, I had to figure out a way to make that preparedness centric, dealing with some of the hypocrisy of the, of the left and uh, their zeal for uh, uh, renewable energy. Um, I, I just I just found it ironic that you know one of the one of these guys that is out there doing these TED talks is out there telling them, hey, look, you know, we're not going to solve the climate crisis with renewable energy. It's not going to work because we're subject to the whims of Mother Nature, clouds. <laughs> so, all right. You guys have a good week. We'll talk again on Saturday when my uh, 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 Jack Assery show comes out. And we'll talk about all the dumb crap that this installed inst uh, administration has thrown upon us, thrust upon us. All right, be good. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye. Happy Hunger Games. And may the odds be ever in your favor. Mm -hmm.